Tom, good morning. Good morning. And I'm speaking I to you. I have to start, Ronnie, by saying happy birthday to you. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Thanks very much. Thank I you. hope you have a great day. Thank you, Tom. And uh, yeah. it won't be long till you get the check from De Valera. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm really excited about that. So, uh, but maybe <laughs> not De Valera. But, but however, if I got a check from De Valera today, I think I'd be quite frightened. But <laughs> the yeah. poor man is long at his rest, which he deserves. Indeed. Yeah. Tom, we're actually speaking in Mediterranean climate. Uh, this Indeed. extraordinary yeah. heat wave that has come upon us is, is both a blessing and a curse because, you know, we're not really prepared for this. We don't have air conditioning. We, you know, we open all our windows. We let in the sunshine, whereas, in fact, in the Mediterranean countries, they close their curtains and they keep That's the right. out. Yeah. Because my house is absolutely boiling. I'm sure I could boil an egg now, just sit, put the saucepan on the stairs and the egg would be boiled in a few minutes. It's so very, very warm. So how are you yeah. coping with it? Oh, fine. Thank you. Yeah, I don't have a problem. We have a garden. So happily, uh, we can sit out in that and uh, just revel in it, really. I don't like the heat much myself, uh, to be honest. But... Uh, I love others enjoying it, so I don't have a problem with it in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Tom, listen, yeah. So what's the crack this week now? <clears throat> well, I would like to start with a quotation, if I may. And it goes as follows. We are blessed with the most wonderful field game in the world. It is more skillful, more graceful, more revealing than those of those who play it. And nobody ha who has seen hurling played by its greatest exponents, can it be in any doubt about what beauty is, or graciousness, or courtesy either? There is something else that is innate to hurling, the spirit in which the game is played. You can hurt, you can maim, you could even kill a man with the blow of a come on. So the come on, it can be a skillful instrument or a bloody weapon. That traditionally, it has been the former rather than the latter is something to be proud of something to be properly cherished and nurtured. Without a certain decency of spirit, hurling could be rendered ugly. Decency in this sense is, like the game itself, distinctly Irish. These words came from a man called Joe Salmon, who was one of the most elegant and gifted and skillful hurlers I ever saw. He played for God, he was from Air Court, he played for Galway in the late 40s and 50s. And he kind of epitomizes what the game, it's the ultimate game for me. It's a lot more than just a game. And when he talks about the Irishness, <clears throat> excuse me, we had an exhibition many years ago, which we called The Art of Hurling. And I will always remember a very old lady wandering around, crying, laughing, talking about games she saw in the 1940s and so on. And she left, she said, when you think of it, hurling, after the Irish language itself, hurling is the most Irish thing we have in this country. And that is exactly what it is for me. So we haven't had much in the last 18 months or so. Uh, but in the very recent past, we've had a very outstanding and, and wonderful occasion for Galway hurling. And that was when our minor team beat Kilkenny 
uh, and picked up the cup for the fourth year in a row. An ex absolutely extraordinary achievement. It's always um, good to beat Kilkenny, that's for sure. Well, it is. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> but, uh, no matter anyway, at what age level. Yeah. They beat them and they did it with style and grace and <laughs> grit and determination and courage. I have to say it was a wonderful game played by both teams. And so I thought, well, like we haven't had, as I say, any sporting uh, images in the advertiser for quite some time. So why not celebrate? And I have used, I decided not, <clears throat> we won our first ever minor title in 1983. Uh, that was a long time after the first ever All-Ireland was played in 1928. So we had a long wait. Uh, but we haven't had to wait for very long since. We have won it 14 times in all now. And um, <clears throat> so I thought to celebrate not with one of those victorious teams, but rather with one of the teams that paved the way for all of those title yes. winners good. in more recent years. A good idea. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have used a team of 1941. Right. Uh, they were beaten by Cork in the final uh, because. Uh, in those days, uh, there was a kind of a clash of colours, the red of Cork, the maroon of Galway. So either one team or the other usually changed jerseys. Uh, <clears throat> Galway often turned out in white and Cork in blue. In this particular case, the uh, Galway team wore the Kalimer jersey. <clears throat> there were a number of Kalimer men on the team. And the other great thing about it is that they were spread all around the south and east of the county, these hurlers. <clears throat> the game has traditionally been very strong there. It is growing in popularity now west of the Carib and also in the north of the county. Uh, but we've had, as I'm speaking now, as for Galway, we've had a very long and proud history in the, an involvement in the game of hurling. And I think it's well worth celebrating. As I say, Absolutely. it's the ultimate game for me. Absolutely. Good man, Tom. I agree with that totally. Uh, 1941, did you say? That's even before my time, Tom, now. But not much, not much. <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless, should be. Do you know, there's one other establishment I associate very much with the GAA, and that is the Sacre Coeur Hotel. A great yeah. hotel uh, when I was a teenager uh, in the 1960s. I mean, God help us, we used to go there for sing songs, but there was enormously good fun. But every All-Ireland uh, Galway won, there was always a celebratory dinner in the Sacre Coeur Hotel. And as you well, know I'll yourself, yeah, if the team... If, if it was an All-Ireland final, the team may not get to Galway till about one o'clock in the morning. And there'd be all the celebration in Air Square and the speechifying and all of that bit of fun. And then on to the Sacre Coeur Hotel. And I'm sure many of a crowd of us, and I used to join them for some reason, well, as a journalist, I suppose, I would sit down with the team and it could be half past two in the morning. And you'd yes. be served this massive dinner and helpings. There was the Dunleavy family was so generous. It was just wonderful. And I think they I, I know the GAA appreciated uh, the fun of it all. Of course, mind you, their son, uh, Sean's son, Sean Oak, was a great football player. Um, he was indeed. Yeah. Yeah. But still, in fact, I, uh, when, when Gal sorry, when Galway won 
the All-Ireland, the senior All-Ireland in 1980, after 57 years. <laughs> I mean, there was just such an explosion of celebration yeah, in the county. Oh, and huge. when the team were coming home, I mean, they were stopped everywhere from about moat on. And the result was that it was about 1.30 in the morning when they got into Air Square. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it was yeah. nearly four o'clock in the morning when they finally sat down to dinner in the Secretary Hotel. And I am sure most of the team, with no disrespect to the Dunleavy family at all, wanted a, a dinner at that stage. Yeah. You know. But anyway, uh, yeah. you're absolutely right. It was always, and indeed it was a great sporting hotel. They used to have photographs all around the bar of all of the sports stars of the year from the first year they were selected up until the fact the hotel closed. Uh, and I always thought it was very nice. I often wondered where those photographs went, in fact. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm sure the Dunleavies have them safe and sound. Um, but that could be an exhibition in itself, actually. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, sadly, they sold the hotel and it burnt down then. Um, yeah in 2016, I think, something like that, which, which was very sad to see that great landmark building burn. It was, yeah, because I remember yeah. when old Tom Dunleavy came first. Oh, yeah. And he started to build his house and he had a corrugated iron shed. That's what he lived in while <laughs> he was building the house. Good and man. we used to... Uh, help him in inverted commas we he'd have us mixing sand and things i'm sure we were a thick and nuisance to be honest uh, <laughs> but i always remember he would bring us to be four or five of us into his little house he would make jam sandwiches and he would tell us ghost stories and terrify us while, <laughs> while we were eating the jam sandwiches yeah <laughs> and suddenly he built a second house and then he connected the two houses and gradually it evolved into what became the Sacre Coeur, a major Galway institution, as you say. Totally. And another lovely thing about Sean <clears throat> Dunleavy, because a family-run hotel, actually, they were all involved. But Sean had a great then love for antique cars and he had a great collection of cars. And you'd sometimes see him driving around, I don't know, some old Ford or something like that. I'm sure that... He wouldn't have called them an old Ford now. He would have had the proper name for them. But he was beaming from ear to ear, driving this old veteran car, thoroughly happy, thoroughly enjoying himself and uh, had no problem in honking the horn as he passed by and you give him a wave. So a great family, a lovely Galway family, actually, still very much with us, though, we have to say. Yeah. So tell me now, what right. are you well, you gave away your age a little bit there, Tom, remembering the building of the Sacre-Cœur Hotel. I don't remember that at all. But anyway, I was prompted by last week you were talking about visitors to Galway. And I went home to know what earth am I going to write about this week? And I thought, yes, visitors to Galway, this is the time. And of course, of all the many, I see Galway's a strange place, as you know, it's kind of the back end of Ireland. If you open your back door, you could walk into the Atlantic. It's right, it's right on the edge. And yet we have attracted most interesting people, most interesting stories through the years. And um, I just, and of course, I had to think of the Joyce family. Um, Nora, of course, 
and James, uh, they came to Galway the first time ever they had a family holiday. They came to Galway uh, for a month between July and August 1912. Joyce, of course, had a, another motive. He was trying to get Dubliners published in Dublin and he was really given the runaround there. He's very frustrated. But anyway, he came with, with Nora and their two children and um, Nora's uncle, Michael Healy, put them up at his residence in 18 Dominic Street for four weeks. And it was a most successful holiday. Um, Joyce absolutely loved it. She cycled out to Gerard. They went to the races. They took a day off and they went out to the Iron Islands. You know, they really had a Galway holiday in all its uh, glory because Galway is a wonderful place for holidays. There's so much to do. But they really did. It ended badly because, again, Joyce was let down over the publishing of Dubliners. But nevertheless, up to that point, they were very, very happy. Now, just to talk about Michael Healy for a moment, um, he was a very well-respected man. And he was, uh, uh, he was very close to the Joyce's. He liked James himself, and he often sent them money. He had a great soft spot for Nora when she was a child. And uh, he bought her boots, actually, when all the children in the town ran around bare feet. But he was a very successful man. He had a number of properties in town. And um, he was one of Her Majesty's inspection of custom and excise in the Galway area. And he was also the receiver of wrecks. And it was in that guise that he probably told Joyce the very famous story of the wrecking of the Indian Empire in Galway Bay. You probably know about this, Tom. I have yeah, actually yeah. skirted around it before, but I thought this time I'd concentrate a little bit more on the story, because this is a great Galway story. Joyce had um, to defray his expenses. He had absolutely no money, really. He agreed to write a series of articles for uh, an Italian newspaper, the Piccolo della Sera, which um, circulated in Trieste, where he and Nora and their children lived. Anyway, the story was that Galway decided in the 1860s to get in on the transatlantic trade. Now, trade in people, of course, there was massive interest an enormous movement of people to going from Europe to America. Uh, really enormous numbers. Now, we know in Galway or in the west of Ireland, um, Sadly, not only the West of Ireland, but the whole of Ireland, between 1850 and 1913, something like 4.5 million Irish men, women and children went to America. But this was happening in other countries, too. Um, certainly, before Ellis Island came on stream, the uh, immigrants were processed in a place called Castle Garden, which was below the battery there, way south of Manhattan. They progressed about 8 million people until it closed in 1890. Then Ellis Island opened. And for the next 60 years, Ellis Island processed something like 12 million people. So there was a massive business in getting people from Europe to America. And we know about the coffin ships. They were very sad. There were people just exploiting the poverty that was in Ireland. But there was a lot of you know, there was a lot of good ships as well uh, that, that you paid well for your keep and cabin. And we now got into a time when those steamers were overtaking sail and there were big paddles on either side of those ships. And they went across uh, to the um, 
to New York, Halifax first, then New York in literally two weeks, whereas the sail ships took at least a month and sail was pretty precarious. Indeed, the steamships turned out to be precarious as well, but they were the great new, the great new ship of the time and there was a lot of excitement about them. They were the fighting temeraire that would get people safely to America. So Galway decided this is a massive business, we should get into it. Now, Liverpool had absolute control on that market between the British Islands and Ireland. Liverpool, everything was there. They had the railway stations, they had the contracts for cargo and for um, uh, um, post, which was a very important contract to have. And of course, they had immigrants, which boarded at Liverpool, came around the Irish Sea, around the south of Ireland, and headed off into the, into the west. So Galway thought, and a particular man in Galway thought, J. Orwell Lever, he had the idea, why, why don't we make Galway the main port to America? And he had this brilliant idea that they should uh, bring people to Galway from the UK uh, across the Irish Sea, of course, but then getting on a train at Dublin, coming down to Galway at a luxurious pace, spending an afternoon in Galway, maybe shopping or having a cup of coffee, and then been taken by rail out to Barna Ferbo, where they had planned a massive deep water harbour. I mean, it's a very bold and imaginative idea, but it took hold of the town of Galway. This was now 10, 12 years after the Great Famine. This took hold of Galway like nothing else imaginable. Everybody thought, at long last, Galway deserves its place in the sun. We will have hundreds of thousands of passengers going through our town, spending some time there before they embarked to America. And anyway, you can imagine the people in Liverpool were not too happy about this town. But anyway, I'm going to end the story now. I'm sorry for going on. But it's a great story. And Joyce heard it from um, Michael Healy, and he was very impressed. And he wrote about it for the Italian newspaper. But anyway, the scheme was being launched by the introduction of J. Orwell's Lieber's wonderful uh, new steamship, the Indian Empire, with a crew of 86, give you an idea how big it was. And it was to steam into Galway Bay on a particular night that the whole town had gathered uh, along Salt Hill, along the docks and the high points and low points to get a, a view of this wonderful boat that was going to launch this thing, this wonderful enterprise that everyone was going to benefit from. And there was a firework display in Air Square. Six, sixpence was the admission. So um, with fireworks, of course, you could watch it from anywhere, but that was the admission. <laughs> so the whole town was going to celebrate and a dinner was planned for the captain of the Indian Empire. And in she came with great excitement and a beautiful calm night. And just uh, inside the bay, it took on two pilots, Henry Burbage and Patrick Wallace, whom we'll hear more about again, I can tell you in the future. And on they traveled, beautiful, calm summer's evening. And lo and behold, it stuck on the Margarita Rock, the most, the only rock in the bay, actually, out that deep, the, the most 
obvious rock as well signposted with foghorn at that time and a big, big, big boy floating above it warning people. So almost unbelievably, and everybody in the Cladda, everybody in Salt Hill knew that that rock was there. This beautiful boat ended stuck on the Margarita rock. And of course, outcry was the only answer. People were assumed that this was done by a plot by the Liverpool traders to stop Galway getting this train. And uh, anyway, there's absolute murder. And actually, there was a death, but that is to come. I, I, I have to stop it there because it's a great story. Joyce was intrigued and he wrote about it. And it gets, it gets more and more preposterous and amazing as the weeks go by. So that's what I'm doing, Tom. Um, I'm absolutely loving reading about it. There are loads of people that, and I'll mention some of their names next week, loads of people have written about it. It's a famous Galway story, and it's utterly, utterly magnificent as to how it yes. came. <laughs> uh, I have to say, reading your piece, Ronnie, is often like going to the serials on a Sunday afternoon in the Astoria <clears throat> when it always ended with some, the hero was about to fall off a ship <laughs> or he was tied to a railway line and the train was coming or something. And, and uh, you know, you were kind of left horrified at one point and amazed at another. But anyway, okay. wonderful. I look forward to this week and indeed next week. All right, Tom. Fair play. Let's talk again. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. God bless. Enjoy the weather. Bye bye.